as David says, yes, I'm from Serbia, which means I sound like a, every single Eastern European villain you ever watched in any film, okay? <laughs> They usually say I sound like the guy from, villain from uh, Despicable Me. So, yeah. For older generations, I sound like uh, uh, Dracula, Count Dracula from Sesame Street. Okay. <laughs> I like to count. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my icebreaker. Okay. Where are we going now? Yeah, I come from Serbia, and I love David and Leslie. We know them for a long time. My wife is English. From Birmingham, she came in Serbia a long time ago. We got married, spent some time in England for a training and all that kind of stuff, all for a purpose of going back in uh, Serbia, Balkan, Eastern Europe, or whatever God's opened door for us to plant churches, to build disciples, to see God's kingdom grow. And I particularly love um, that kind of thing that I lived in England for some time and now I lived in Serbia and I kind of like to believe that I understand the English ways of life, and I'm very much, very much uh, Middle Eastern kind of guy in my approach to life, because Serbia has been under the Turkish Empire for 500 years. Before that, it's kind of Mediterranean culture. So we are part of the Europe, but we are not Europeans at all. We are very Middle Eastern in a way of thinking and everything. So I love all that East and West and try to bring some kind of understanding and dialogue and communication to talk. And particularly love to look Bible through the eyes of the Middle Eastern kind of uh, approach, which is very much biblical approach, as you can, you can imagine. So there's the one thing that... Um, it's, um, it's like a very much part of life in Serbia, in any of the Middle East, and it's actually quite present in the Bible also, something that um, English people don't have a clue about, and, and that is a haggling, a, a beautiful art of communicating and discussing to lower the price of something that you're buying, haggling. And I love it. I just really, really, I love marketplace. I like piazza. I love all that street markets with old people and negotiating price and getting all kind of debates and all the drama. And it's always just a drama, but it's absolutely beautiful. And I remember once Sonia and I, we went to Turkey and we've been on a Turkish piazza with all these street sellers and everything. And it just some kind of happened that Sonia walked like two meters behind me like a proper Middle Eastern woman, okay? But it just happened, she was behind me, and I had some kind of serious face on, you know, serious face on me, and the, 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 the old Turkish guy saw me and said, oh, sir, what's happened? And some kind of just came out to me, I don't know, and I just said, oh, this woman of mine, she just spent all my money. And he says, oh, sir, I understand you. Come, come inside. Come in my shop, I'll give you a good price. And he... <laughs> He, he, he gave us a, a tea, his wife came and we spoke and, and you know, negotiated all kind of prices and we bought a lot of things from him. And it was just absolutely beautiful, but all just that, that drama that happens, it's just so beautiful. And I asked him, you know, on earth, how on earth do you earn anything because you really lowered the price for me? And he said, well, I, everything what I lose on Serbs, okay, because a lot of Serbs goes to Turkey, everything I lose on Serbs, I get back from English people, <laughs> you know. 
So, yeah, it's not very important if you're good in haggling. You know, it's really not very important. But there is a actually place in Christian life, in life, where actually haggling, haggling is a very important thing. And you actually should be the somebody who is ready to huggle with God. Because God really invites us to come and huggle Him down for the good things He wants to give us in a prayer. So there is a story about that in Genesis 18 when Abraham actually has this wonderful conversation with God, as you know about Sodom and Gomorrah. And when you read that story through the Middle Eastern eyes, you actually see amazing huggling. An amazing story goes behind that you can learn so much. It's such a great drama. And you got to learn to read those stories, not just read them, but actually get yourself in that noise and in that smell and in that kind of environment. And imagine the drama that goes behind those events that you read in the Bible. If you do something like that, you know, you can actually draw way more. So, Genesis 18. You know the story, you have those three mysterious guys, we don't know who they are, but there is some godly presence amongst them, you know, so we have idea the, the same God is there talking to Abraham. And these three mysterious men, they have two purposes. One purpose is to say to Sarah, you're going to get a baby. They've done that, the first task is done. And the second task is to let Abraham know that they're on a way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And the story goes like this, verse 16. Then, the men set out from there, and they looked towards down Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on the way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And you have an idea here that Abraham is next to him, and he talks about Abraham in a third person, and if you're an English person, you will just say, that's very rude. I'm here. You can talk to me. Why don't you say straight to me? You know, and he's, he's almost, you have a feeling like a parent who wants to teach something, his child, her child, indirectly by talking to himself while child listening and parent observe, you know, how the child is going to receive this message and what the response is going to be. So, these three guys, God, is talking with himself and says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. So, he laid out the scene to see what Abraham is going to do. And he's just saying a certain facts that's a true and see, Okay, Abraham, how are you going to respond in all this? I have chosen him. So that Lord will bring about Abraham what he has promised him. And that is to make him to be a blessing. So they tell Abraham what about going to do. And then the men turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before God. And this word standing, it's very, it's very technical word. It means like a standing in a court and you're ready to debate. You're ready to have some kind of discussion. You're ready to bring some arguments and counter-arguments. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with wicked? 
What if there is uh, 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous? For it will be such a thing to kill righteous with wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be from you. Will not the judge of all earth do the right? I just love it. This is such a Middle Eastern top, you know, plays on a man's honor, you know, trying to help him to avoid shame. Say, you're such an honorable man. You're never going to allow something like this. It will be such a shameful thing for, you know, to kill the righteous people with unrighteous. And, you know, he's preparing the sin because he want to ask something. You know, in my culture, when you're asking for a favor for something, you never do directly. You always have this play when you prepare the sin, and on a basis of that, you ask what you want to ask. And he says, Then the Lord said, If I found 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again. He's a good guy. He's going to huggle down. Now, that I have seen so bold to speak to the Lord. What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? In other words, you know, can we lower the price a little bit down? You know, God plays along, which is absolutely amazing. God is playing along. God is going with his game. God is going with his huggling. God is respecting Abraham. And what is Abraham desire? And God is actually know his desire, but he wants to bring that so much on the surface. If I found 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. Once again, Abraham, fine, amazing courage as an inferior person to ask this mighty man, which he feels like they're superior because in a way he's honored them. He's ready to break his knees again and to come in their presence very humbly and boldly, scared to death, you can almost say, and ask for another favor. What if? What if? Then he said, uh, what if 40 are found? He says, for the sake of 40, I will not do that. He said, may the Lord not be angry. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I found 30 today. Abraham says, now. <laughs> he just, he's pushing so much. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there, he said, for the sake of 20. God just loved this game. God just loved this attitude. God just loves to be huggled down by us. I will not destroy it. What? May the Lord not be angry. Let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there, he asked. He answered. For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. Then the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham. He left, and Abraham returned home. What a great story. When I read this many, 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 many times, many years ago, when I was in England, I never asked these questions. But then when I moved back to my country and I started living more in a, in a, in a, in a culture where I'm coming from, I actually start reading this totally different as thanks seeing some things that just don't make sense. And that make me asking uh, questions. And the first question was, you know, what is the point of all this? What is the point of all this? Because as you know, 
And this is what I thought in the past, you know. The reason why Abraham is doing all this is because his nephew Lot is living there, as you know. So for the sake of salvation of Lot and his family, he's going through all this hassle. But why? Why not just not asking God directly, Lord, you know, these people are really wicked, and they are very wicked. And Abraham had a lot of troubles with them. It's a way more logical, and it's way more human, it's human nature. Just to say, Lord, you know, these people, they do deserve to be destroyed. They're so wicked. They oppress the poor so much. Uh, the stuff they're doing, it's just unimaginable. But there is my nephew who lives there, and he's not one of them in his family. Please, can you save him? Can you at least allow me some time to go and warn him to escape or anything like that? I'll come in his dream and do something. Can you just save my nephew? That would be way easier. That would be much faster. That would be the right things to be done. But instead of that, that Abraham stood in front of God and asked for mercy for the whole city. It's a whole wicked city who never done anything good to him, okay? He waged, they waged the war against him when you read before. And they've been nasty in so many ways. Notice how he says, for this wicked city, God, please don't be mad. Don't be angry. Please, can, can you listen to me one more time? He just takes such a great risk for this wicked people. For this wicked people. And why is he doing and I think it's just that drama when God said, those mysterious men said amongst themselves, shall we hide from Abraham? What are we going to do? It's, they want to see voice deeper down in his heart. And I think he really clearly understood and passed this test, you can say, in some way, or learned the lesson, wherever you want. You know, he clearly understood those things. And the first thing he understood very clearly is that God's hand of mercy can stretch so, so far away that the most wicked God can save. The most impossible things God can do it. You know? And, and he chose him, the Abraham, to be the channel of that mercy. To be that person who's going to stand in a gap and pray, and fight, and weep, and pay the price, and pay the scare of asking such a huge things for that kind of wicked people. I have chosen Abraham. It's a calling so that all nations on the earth can be blessed through him. So if I chose Abraham, that all nations on the earth is going to be Blessed through him. What are you going to do, Abraham, now when I tell you that I'm on a way to destroy one city? What are you going to do, Abraham? And the other things he understood very well. That it's not enough just to be called by the name of Christian. It's not enough just to say we have a calling. The calling is inseparable from the praxis. You got to do something about that, guys. You got to do something about that. There's the reason why God said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham, I'm in a business on going to destroy these wicked people. Abraham, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do in the light of that? 
that I'm on the way of the business of destroying. What are you going to do about that? That these people, if they know Christ, they're going to disappear one day and be destroyed. And as you know, and you know that, you know that, the Abraham blessing, the Abraham anointing, the Abraham responsibilities, our blessing, our anointing, our responsibility. And we need to allow this reality that we live among the wicked people. Okay? To, and that God is on a way to destroy them. Or say differently, without God they will be destroyed. This kind of reality to hit us very much. That we have anointing, we have a responsibility, the church and every single individual in the church through the seed of Christ has that calling of Abraham on himself. To stand in the gap for the wicked people who will be destroyed if they don't, have, don't know God and do something about that. God is not hiding this from us. And maybe, maybe just the time, okay, the wickedness of the world and the culture is squeezed us so much in a, in a history who we are as a Christians. To become exactly what the culture wants us to become. And that is a polite class of people who have the corner, have the little religious festivals. They're nice and polite. They do a good coffee. Actually, churches don't do good coffees. You know, who, 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 who do nice things in societies, but they're polite. They don't raise their voice. Okay? They don't fight back. We can just put them and they don't disturb anybody. That's not what Christianity is. It was always people who turned the world upside down. Unstoppable force for good. The prophetic wars in society always, always. When something is wrong, Christians always stood up. Church always stood up and said, that's wrong. This nation, this country goes in the ambus. If we don't turn around and go to the other direction. There is more courage today in the stand-up comedians who makes fun of the things where it goes too wrong sometimes in, the, in a culture that we live. Than the Christians who should say we have anointing of Abraham above us to stand in the fight for these wicked people who without God are going to be destroyed. So maybe we need to stop being polite and emotionally controlled. And allowed the news you're watching on TV, okay, to disturb you, to make you angry, to make you little less English and a little, little more Balkan. As you can see, I'm coming from the Mediterranean cultures and Mediterranean peoples, all hot-blooded and all that. But when you face with the bad news on TV and the things that you're seeing, it just cannot be something to say, oh dear. I have a little coffee table conversation about that. But actually makes you mad. Because God is just announcing you to you. I am on a way to destroy these people. Without me there is no hope for England. Without me there is no hope for this nation. Without me there is no hope for your street. Without me. That person who just crossed your road and you saw him. Smiling to you while he walks the dog. Without me, that person is going to be destroyed. 
That's what God is telling us every single time when we watch horrible news. And we got to allow ourselves to be disturbed by those things. Just like Abraham was. He could turn around and say, good, excellent, good. Lord, let me just tell you, there is a good guy there. Can you at least get him back to me and destroy them? No. He says he went through the whole process of really emotional disturbance, being in the presence of God, of that presence, and haggling God down for the salvation of that place. You can't look poverty and not stand in a gap and plead to God to show mercy. You can't look the rise of nationalism, totalitarianism in a world, the stuff that's happening right now. You can't watch what's happening in the Middle East, whatever your politics orientation is. You can't watch what's happening with the refugees. You can't watch those things. You can't watch your own country where you are as an as a Englishman, British, like, just like me, with what's happening in my country. And not be distressed. To that level that your wife says, ooh, why, ooh, don't be so distressed, stop watching news. No, be distressed, but then go in the presence of God and find release there. By praying and, and crying for these poor people who don't know God. We got to wake up for those things. We get, stop being afraid of, of cancel movement and stuff like that and actually be the ones finally who turn the world upside down because that's our heritage. There is no Christians in the world, in every single generation, in every single, every single geography where something is happening God-wise. There is no the Christians who turns that place upside down. No wonder Christianity moved from the Europe, went global east and the global south. No wonder there's so much amazing things about Christianity happens all around except here in Europe. Because we're keeping quiet, nice and polite, exactly what the world wants us in a corner. We like your Christmas carols. We allowed you that until one day they get bored of that and say, you're not allowed to have that anymore. We got to wake up for those things. God said to Abraham, in the light of the truth, in the light of the truth, that you've been chosen to be blessing to others, blessings to the nations. In the light of the knowledge and your experience that this culture where I put you is the wicked culture which decades and becomes worse and worse. And in the light of the knowledge that we also know I'm on a way to destroy them or in our words of the New Testament, without God, they will be destroyed. What are you going to do, Abraham? And Abraham stood up in a gap. God shared his plans and asked him, what are you going to do? And Abraham responded well to that challenge. But then there is a second question. Why did he stop haggling at 10? <laughs> he had a very good opening. You know, when you see the good opening... When you see the weakness, you go to the end. But he stopped at 10. If your friend is selling Mercedes, secondhand, two years old Mercedes, which is worth 50,000 quid, you know, and you jokingly ask him, ah, sure, you going to sell me for 10? And he says, yeah, no problem. Really? For 10? How about five? Yeah, five is no problem. And then you just, you, you, the, the little lamp light goes in your mind. My goodness, what's happening here? How about 
thousand quid. Yeah, I'll give you four thousand quid. How about you actually pay me so I can, you know, help you to get rid of that guy? You go to the end, but Abraham is not doing that. He stops at ten. And that is because he realized it doesn't matter how low he goes, there is no righteous in that city. And the city is going to be destroyed. So he leaves off negotiation and God gives him a favor by saving Lot as a favor to him. But he leaves you in that place that only the New Testaments can give answer later. Is there no one who is righteous enough who can plea on our behalf of the wicked people of all nations and stop the wrath of God on our behalf because of his righteousness? Is there anyone righteous in whose name the wicked people can be saved? It leaves you with that question. And Muslims, every year, they go to Mecca. And you have a million of Muslims who walks around the Kaaba, that uh, black stone, if you know from the, from the news, you probably see, and you have a, millions of them just walking around that sacred stone Kaaba with, with just one desire. And they only have one hope. All these Muslims who goes around. That in this one among us is a righteous enough that can come close to that rock and touch that rock. And God can hear his prayer. And on behalf of the righteous of that, at least one righteous Muslim can forgive the sins of all of us. Well, they're not going to find one amongst them. But there is a one who died 2,000 years ago who was righteous enough, who was virtuous enough, who is just enough, who is honorable enough, who's dead, not just opened the door so we can pray, but his dead was, wasn't just plead to God, but it was actually the blood who washed all our sins. So there is one. Abraham didn't have one. It was just the grace of God who gave him Lot back. But we have one on basis of who, in whose name we can pray. Which means there is salvation. There is hope. There is change. It's not impossible task in front of us. There is an amazing name. Okay? And Jesus whose life, righteousness, virtue, uh, uh, um, Honor makes an absolutely possible and oblige God. And I choose these words very right. Oblige God when you pray to him in that name, in the name of Jesus. God is obliged to hear your prayer and to do something about that prayer. Now, I explain more about that. Where is this leaving us? Two things for us. Each one of us is placed into community to pray and stand in gap on their behalf. Each one of us. God's put you in that family that his sovereign choice, sovereign choice that he puts you in that family, that put your children in your family, that his sovereign choice, that he puts you in this community. 
in that neighborhood, in this country, in that work, in that circle of people around you. He puts you so you can meet those people who regularly crossing your road. He puts you in that street with that person who lives there and that person who lives there. That is sovereign choice. He puts you because he has a plan. And plan is that you meet those people and you stand for them in a gap in front of God and you pray for their salvation and you work on their salvation. You can say as much as you want, they're wicked, they're hard, they don't listen. Sodom was the same. But Abraham knew that the reason why God put him there so he can ask for a mercy and show the mercy. And then in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, it says that God allocated place of every being, every person, allocated periods and the boundaries. That means territory and the time in history, okay? Where they're going to be so they can learn to find God. Which that new family that just moved in your neighborhood, they're absolutely unaware that God allocated this moment of history in this geography to be your neighbors so you can teach them how to follow God. So you can see them, you can pray for them. You can pray impossible prayers. Lord, how can I make friends with them? How can I come closer to them? How can I bring them God? How can I present God to them? And God can say, huggle me down for that. And you see what amazing things I can do. You are moved in this community. You are moved in this place, in this town, in this time of history. Because God wants you here with a purpose and a reason to do some amazing things. God gave you that child, that child, and these children that you have with the reasons you can teach them how to find God. God's allocated those things. And what is amazing is that sometimes as a parent, we are more worrying about education and the well-being of our children and their sport activities and all that kind of stuff instead of teaching them how to find God. But guys, what is the point for them to be the most educated, the leading people in Sodom, when Sodom is going to burn one day. Our job is on the first place. Everything else, it's a bonus. Everything else, it's a valid. Everything else, it's a great. But the first things teach them how to find God. What is the point walking those streets and being just polite to the people when they're going to, when Sodom is going to burn? Be polite to them, but when you are polite to them, oh, say that prayer for them. Say that amazing prayer for them. Say, Lord, I've seen that person. We're crossing road again and again and again and again. I don't want just to cross cross with that person next time. I want more than that. I want opening door for a gospel in that person's heart. You are put here in this beautiful place. I didn't know anything about the catering. And it just took me one day to be amazed with the history of this place. It's amazing. It's amazing the history of the, of the mission movements and everything that happens here. And the, from here, the world was touched. Let's do something with that. If we are put again here in this 21st century, in this place, 
Let's pray and work on that so this can be a missionary place again. And from here we can send again to the nations. And we can open our minds and eyes and see, well, once God's done in one way and he sent us to the nations today, God's bringing nations to us. What does it mean, Lord, multicultural church? What does it mean, Lord, having so many different nations? How to pick the flavor from all of that? How to, make, how to, how to draw the maximum from all of that? <coughs> God placed you in that family, that community, to pray and give and sacrifice on their behalf. It's our divine destiny. In Romans, Paul is writing to church in Rome. The church has never been. Never seen them. Never been in their presence. He doesn't know who they are. He's just longing to be to them. And he says a very interesting phrase. He says, I'm a debtor to the Greeks and barbarians to preach gospel to them. And then you look back and you say, how on earth are you a debtor to them? You haven't done, you don't owe them anything. You don't know them. And then you figure out you can be debtor in two ways. Somebody give you money, you own that money back to that person. But sometimes you're in such a pickle. And somebody comes and saves you in a, it's in a way that changes your life. And that person says, you know, you can never repay me back. And you know I can never repay back that person. And says, but the only thing I want you from you is be like me to others. And then you leave luck and you're debtor to everybody you met because you met somebody who's done such an amazing thing in your life. Save you from that kind of pit of hell that you own them salvation. Do you understand? We own them salvation. We receive something amazing so big that how on earth we can live differently. When you own a lot of money, when you own 5,000 quid, you don't go to holidays. You lose certain freedoms because you're committing or paying that debt back. And that's what the Christian life is. There is a one priority on the first place in our life. Everything else it's not under. It's on a different piece of paper. It's a one thing to living for him. And then under that name, there is nothing else. You can't say, God, my family, kids, friends, jobs, or everything else. No, no, no. On that piece of paper, only one name can be. That's Jesus. Everything else is another piece of paper. That's how important is the depth that we have. That's what important is commitment we should have to Him. That's how important it is to have Him on the first place. And once when you have Him on the first place, all that stuff on the second piece of paper gets in the right order. And it's blessed. But we are debtors in this world. And if we are debtors in this world, we'll live differently. We'll live to repay that back, death back in the right way. And the second thing is, we can stand in a gap. Abraham could not stand in a gap. On the end, Sodom was destroyed. But you and I can do because there is a name. And we sang about that name. There is that beautiful song, the name of Jesus. The name that is so great. And I come from the, again, from the culture. You are here in a culture and you have institutions that take care of your needs. Okay? So when you have institutions who take care of you, you're losing some kind of relationships, kind of responsibility that you have. In my country, when institutions are not good, people depend on one another. And the only, the only capital that you have when you depend on one it's your name. It's your honorable name. It's that you're a person worth of honor. You're a person 
who is uh, righteous, who is right, who is good, who is, who is uh, honorable. Who is, uh, it's, it's a good to do something for that person because that person knows how to respect, knows how to repay back, knows how to be there for you. If you do favors for that person, that person will pay favors back. So antique world, they put such a huge uh, uh, accent of honor and shame and you live life to avoid every single shame and you live life so you can be a person of honor because person of honor is person you have the life of security because you have a people who are ready to be there for you. Saying that you have Jesus whose name is so high, so righteous, so honorable, Life absolutely amazing. So when, that, when you come with that kind of name to God, God must do something. And we pray so much in the name of Jesus this, and we're finishing prayers in the name of Jesus. It doesn't mean anything for us. It just becomes the way how you finish your prayer. If you don't say that on the end, people don't know, shall we continue to pray or shall we wait and you have a theologians making discussions about what that means. Should we pray just in, in Jesus' name or the Father's name or what? No, it was just a practical thing. So when I go to the doctor or when I go to the mechanic in my country, I ask my friends, do you have a good mechanic? And he says, yeah, my friend is mechanic. Just say, I sent you. So when I go to mechanic, I say, oh, your friend, Miroslav, he sent me here. Oh, Miroslav, he's a great guy. What can I do for you? And that good guy, Miroslav, opened door for me. So mechanic who needs to do something for me will do well for me because I came in Miroslav's name. So when you come to God in such a righteous person named Christ who everybody tried to shame him, all the way to the dead on the cross, the most shameful thing. And God vindicated him back, bringing him to life. And one day fully when he comes in all his glory. And everybody's going to see the honor of Christ. And everybody's going to be shameful because they didn't trust and believe. When you come with that name to God, God is obliged because he's the honorable person also to do something for that what you're asking for. Because what kind of person is if you come in an honorable name and somebody spits on that, oh, I don't care, coming in that name. No, I'm not going to do it for you. It makes you to be this honorable person. But God is not like that. So when you come with the name of Christ to God and you understand this relationship that exists, that we are the ones who are friends of Christ, that means client of Christ, friends of Christ, and Jesus said, you know, use my name when you come to God. Because when you come in my name, God is going to say, ah, oh, they're the friends of Christ. In his name comes. And he's such an honorable son of mine. How can I refuse anything that comes as a plea, petition, prayer, that comes in the name of my son? What kind of father I will be? What kind of person will be to reject such an honorable name? So when you come in your prayers to Christ, and you come to Christ in your prayers, He takes your prayers. And our prayers are so many times like a child who picks up the flowers on a field for a mom. 
and small child, two years old, will pick all kind of stuff. Something which is worth for bouquet and a lot of stuff which is not worth for bouquet. But then the father takes all that and cleans up and makes a beautiful bouquet that presents to the mother. Christ has all these prayers of us. Takes them to his heart and says, I know exactly what you want. I know exactly what is behind this prayer. You didn't frame it very well. Okay, you put some wrong expectations, but I know what is behind all of this. So I'm going to clean it. And to God, I'm going to present in a perfect, beautiful, pure way. And God is going to say yes. Yes to your prayer. So lots of prayers are not answered quickly because God takes them. The, the Jesus takes them before he brings them to the Christ, to the, to the God and says, yeah, but you're not ready for the yes. I know, I know your desire, you want this. But you know, if, if you wait a little bit long, I can work on your heart and I can make you a perfect character for this, for, for fulfillment of this kind of wish. If you just wait a little bit more. It's just like a child who comes to the mom and says, can I have some chocolate? But mom knows, yeah, it's time for dinner. Huh? That's why you're hungry. I'm not going to give you chocolate. You wait for your chocolate. You'll get it later. I'm going to give you full meal because your body needs proper, proper food. So, so God takes all these prayers and makes them so perfect. That's why when you and I come with impossible haggling with God, God takes those prayers because we come in that name. We come in that name. When you mention that name, I come in Jesus' name. And I'm fighting here. I'm fighting here for my child. I'm fighting here for my city. I'm fighting here for my generation. I'm fighting here for my friends. I'm fighting here for my soul. I'm fighting for, for myself. And you bring this impossible Sodoma to be changed. Sodoma to be saved. It's impossible. But it's not if you know there is a name. <laughs> and that name cannot be refused. And you take that name in your prayer. Doesn't matter how big that prayer is. You bring that name Jesus. And that prayer is heard. That prayer is purified. It's bring us in a pure form to Christ, to God. And God will fulfill it. Don't insult God with the small prayers. His big name answers big prayers. It's like, a, it's like a, what you have. Will be very cool in my country if I have, you know, a personal connection with the mayor. Okay, and I come in the name of the mayor to something to be finished for me. But things what I'm asking for is my parking tickets. Well, are you using a favor? You're using such a huge name, such a huge connection you have for a parking tickets. You're an idiot, and it's insulting in some way. So when we come to Christ, let's come with impossible big prayers. Because we are born from that. He, he died for those things. He died for a people who turns world upside down. Not for a social club. He died for a people who, to the whole history. Why not? Why not us? Why not us? Why not this generation catering again? Why not? It's not because we're something perfect. No, we are kids on the field picking up all kind of rubbish, giving to God. But the name is great. 
and it's why not us? Why not? Why not me in Serbia? Why not the young people in my church in Serbia are going to be the factor of change in everything that exists in Serbia right now? Why not me and my people in church and my generation, people from our small church in Ish, can be the end, finally the end of corruption in Serbia? Why not? Is the name small? Is guy has tied his hands? Or he actually wants all this because it's in line with his purpose. When you have a righteous man, I wrote it down somewhere. <laughs> when righteous men come with the righteous prayers to the righteous God in the a, in a name of the righteous Christ, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Ezekiel says in one place, I look for somebody amongst them who will stand before me in a gap on behind of the land that I will, so I will not have to destroy it, but I found no one. So I will put out my wrath on them, declares the sovereign Lord. It's, that is that mystery. That God wants to do something, but he, that it's, it's a good and a righteous thing. But I think he says, well, this geography and this historic movement, this generation don't want that. So I'm not going to do it. I'm okay to wait. I'll wait for some new generation in the church. I'll wait for some other place to pour out my spirit and from there to spill around. Because I was looking around for a people who are ready to make their life to be uncomfortable. To stand in a gap. To mess up their lives a little bit. But messing up their lives a little bit. That actually bringing my kingdom here. But I didn't find anybody. So let's not be that kind of people. Okay. Let's give ourselves to a calling that we have. And let's give ourselves to the prayer. James Fraser, a great missionary in China. He, he said, I used to believe that prayer should be on the first place. And the preaching of the word of God on the second place. Now I believe that prayer should be on the first, second, third and the fourth place. And then preaching of God. It's a huggling with God. Find yourself in that position. The door is open. Lord, Lord, can I have a little bit more? Can I be rude here? Can I be less English here and more Balkan? Can I actually pass some lines, break some boundaries, be rude, and ask for big prayers for me? For my family, for my generation, for my street, for my city, for my country. Doesn't matter how big the giants are, how big the mountains are. They're going to be flattened down. Because that is their destiny. The kingdom of God will come, but I want to come now. I want to be part of the solution, not just observer and somebody who sits and watch what's happening. So my prayer for you, my brothers and sisters, here, Ecaterum, huggle with God, okay? Huggle with God with all your heart. Huggle with God, God with all your mind, knowing that the name that you have is not theological name. It's not a nice way to finish sermon. It's the name when you come with that name to God. God says, how can I say no if you come in that name? And I know you are his 
friend. And I know you are in allegiance with him. And I know you're obedient to him. I know you're walking with him and following him. How can I say no to those prayers? And you will see your big, 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 big impossible prayers fulfilled. Amen.